Hello and welcome to the 48th edition of the Two Black Two Nerdy podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm your host, Chris. And today um, we have a wonderful panel of guests with us. Um, Chris, do you want to go ahead and uh, just get us started? Yes, from the wonderful world of TikTok, uh, I have a bunch of friends here. So we are going to start off uh, with Kiki from the Pacific Northwest. Hello, my name is Kiki, and I I live up in the Pacific Northwest, and I talk a lot on my TikTok channel about all things nerdy. Um, If you've been following me, you know that I am currently and have been for the last six months talking about Bane from The Dark Knight Rises and then sometimes Star Wars. Um, And you can find me all over social media at Black PNW Lady. Next, we'll have Nidra. Okay, hi. Um, my name is Nidra. Uh, Nidra loves cosplay on most everything that doesn't have a character limit. Um, I'm Nidra loves Jedi on Twitter and poly work if we're doing that now. Um, and I'm an Ahsoka Tano cosplayer, an iOS developer, film school dropout, and a person who overthinks a lot of pop culture stuff. Uh, and I'm happy to be here. I'm I am I am also a black person. So <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nice. Uh Gabe, Dr. C. Yeah, so my name is um uh Gabe or Gabriel and uh, I go by Dr. C on a lot of stuff. Um I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at GA Cruz underscore PhD. I got a podcast called Officers with Dr. C and uh you know, my folks told me when I was a kid, you know, TV and video games aren't going to make you a living. So I decided to go pro. And now that's what I research uh, as a uh, college educator and whatnot. So um, I study like comics and superhero narratives and things like that. And I teach about it and write about it and all that kind of fun stuff. And last but certainly not least, Malik. Uh, hey, uh, I'm Malik, better known as Kiki's arch nemesis on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I go by the, Je- the Jedi Smark. I talk about uh, pro wrestling, uh, Star Wars, all th- video games, all types of nerdy stuff. I have a podcast called Ha! Exclamation point. It's a podcast um, where me and my best friend talk about literally anything and everything you can think of. Uh, available wherever you get your podcast. And I, too, like Nidra, I'm also a black person. And I'm very excited to be on this mm-hmm. podcast. All right. Uh, so yeah. So today's episode is is titled "BIPOC Faces and Nerd Spaces." Uh, I I I don't think it's any uh, secret that all of us are nerds, and I proud to be nerds. So you know, it's just talking about us being where we are. Yeah. So um, I think uh, usually when we everyone who comes on the podcast, we always go around and ask everyone. What was the first nerdy thing they were into and how they were introduced to it? So, uh, yeah, we'll do a volunteer victim with this question. Does anybody want to take a stab at it? I'll go. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> like, I was very serious. Let's go, Tim. But uh, my first ever nerdy thing I was into, turn the clock way back dinosaurs i loved dinosaurs as a kid i used to watch jurassic park on literal repeat like it would leave the vhs and i would pop it right back in to start the movie again (laughs) Uh, i had like literally an army of dinosaurs around my floor i used to play them all the time with my uh my uh, my pop pop who's sadly no longer with us 
um it, it would i kid, people would ask kids in preschool like hey what do you want to be and they some kids would say you know a basketball player a rock star an astronaut and they got to me and i would say a paleontologist because i didn't know what that meant i just knew it worked with dinosaurs <laughs> but you know like dinosaurs is my first name like yeah no like this is awesome <laughs> i don't think we've ever had a dinosaur person on the podcast it's pretty cool oh, yeah <laughs> niche very niche yeah <laughs> I guess my thing was um, reading in general. Also, like I went to a music academy, so it was like that. It was kind of like, okay, you're going to be nerdy from the rip. But I don't think I opted into nerdiness uh, until I started watching Pokemon. And like that was like my first main thing. Um, And then my first like fandom I committed to, I think, was, oh, no. So I, I, I started pivoting into film bro uh, as a whole personality when I was a teenager and went to film school, all that. And, uh, I think that was like my first, uh, b- big turn down uh, the path of nerdiness, but then it also turned me into the path of like, Hey, uh, some spaces just aren't for you. And, uh, sometimes you have to leave certain spaces for self-preservation reasons. And that was like my first time I was like, I, I, the first time I chose me over like um, my nerdiness, I'm jumping ahead a bit, <laughs> but uh, yeah, my first like nerdy thing is film. I think I'm going to go ahead and say final answer. Survey says. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, Kiki or Gabe. I can go. So I'm going to do a little bit of a niche one as well, which is I'm going to say the Chronicles of Narnia. So I grew up in a very religious household in a very religious community. And a lot of things that many of my peers growing up may have been exposed to, like being able to watch Batman comics and such was not allowed because it was considered too violent. But Chronicles of Narnia was allowed. And you can unpack that another day why Spider-Man was not in it, but like the White Witch was okay. There's a lot to unpack in that entire argument, but you know what, we'll move on. But it was kind of my my door to fantasy. And, you know, from there, you know, I, I always jokingly say like, you know, my parents kind of messed up because they introduced me to Narnia. And from there, how do you make an argument to a young child? You can... You can watch the Chronicles of Narnia, or you can read that, but you can't read The Hobbit or watch The Lord of the Rings. It's a very slippery slope, and they lost at that point. So that was kind of like the door got kicked open, and I was like fantasy, and I ran straight through that door. Right Question. Did they see the book cover with like the unicorn of blood dripping from the Lord? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I watched, I watched like, you know, I'm trying to think of like my first interaction with Narnia stuff. And it was, of course, because I couldn't read because I was a little kid. Um, but the BBC production from like the 80s. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen the BBC production from the 80s, The Chronicles of Narnia. It's old school. It's old school, but it's good. I I love that. Um, I love that, like, you know, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Line the Witch in the Wardrobe, you've got Santa Claus showing up, handing weapons to children. And also yeah. they just, they crucify Jesus as a lion on a stone table. And that, that's cool. Yeah. In front of the kids, like the kids watch someone die. Yeah. Yeah. But other, but Batman, it's too violent. That's. Yeah, like like I said, there's a lot to unpack with that argument, and I don't think my parents were ever ready for it. Sounds mad metal, though. I'm into it. Yeah. 
in in that vein actually kiki so i was i was the flip side it for me it wasn't chronicles and Arnie, it was lord of the rings um so i had the uh i had the usual stuff that you're supposed to as a kid so i'm i'm uh 34 uh you know so i was a 90s kid pretty solidly so like pokemon power rangers all that stuff i don't know if y'all remember there was a mortal Kombat cartoon for a while which i don't know whose idea that was but it was like every saturday that's you know my nana had no idea about any sort of that context um but but then like when i'm i'm like uh 10 or 11 or maybe 12 i get the hobbit and like i just hit the gas from there man i i'm i was all about it uh that combined with a stack of comic books that my grandfather gave me that no 11 year old should have had access to um like Turok the Dinosaur Hunter and like uh, Reign of the Superman um or there was an X-Men comic where they were abducted by the brood and so there was this whole plot about the brood hatching out of their bodies and stuff the whole thing like again no no 11 year old should have had this but that was you know that was the uh the seeds that led to my you know fa uh, fascination with fantasy and science fiction and all that kind of stuff yeah I definitely think we got some unique answers out of all, all, all four. For sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't say that I, I don't identify with the. Yeah, you can watch this, but you can't watch this. This is up the devil. Uh, <laughs> argument all too well. Oh, and they, they lost that. To this. Like, so what happened? What really happened with that situation is that I saw a trailer for the two towers, and I saw Legolas. And that was like the doorway to like thirst because I was about 12, 13. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hold up. Who's that? And one of my friends was like, that's Legolas. That's from Lord of the Rings. And from there, like my parents couldn't stop it. <laughs> I, I watched the, the movie Turning Red and I understood it way too well. <laughs> <laughs> and it was me and band dudes. Yeah, no. Yeah, like, <laughs> Earth that you don't know what you're doing with it but you're like i have big feelings and i just want this person to pay attention to me and i'm like that is it i know that feeling yeah, yeah turning red was so good for exactly that reason it definitely like resonated on like such a, a a level that i don't think i ever connected with a film like you know like i don't know i always feel like i have to bend and twist myself to like relate to characters a lot of the time in um animated movies more or less and i think that was one of the first like straight lines to like oh yeah that was my childhood <laughs> it was the early 2000s <laughs> i remember when that movie came out and because you know young young men are just profoundly dumb um and not understanding why so many girls were into like legolas and aragorn and stuff like that because i'm like there's orcs and arrows and swords and shit why are we like what's it why are you girls no no listen you're focusing on the wrong thing clearly you know it was, i was clueless but you know see it was like movie. see i connected with my aunt on lord of the rings and i was and like i was young and like and she was like the one who kind of like gate with me and she get she introduced me to star wars and all the other stuff and she introduced me to lord of the rings and i'd be like the battle of helm's deep and she's like yeah but but she's like but legolas legolas i'm like <laughs> what helm's deep <laughs> i'm in the wall she's like where's legolas I remember like all the older women in my life, like my, like finally my mom went to sit with me and but like my friend's moms, they were all like Aragorn though. And I was like, you know, young and preteen. I was like, Legolas is pretty or I don't care. But then as I got older, I'm like, no, I get it. I get, I get what these women in their thirties and forties were like, mm, Aragorn though. Mm. 
I understand it as a grown woman. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so jumping into uh, our topic. So we, we're all talking about things that we interacted with when we were younger with nerds. What did nerdy mean to you growing up? Like if somebody had called us a nerd? Yeah. Or whether you called yourself a nerd. What 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 did that mean to you? You know, I'm thinking about like what it would have meant in the 90s, 2000s to be called a nerd. And it definitely would have been a derogatory term, I think, being pushed at you and back and then at least, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think about like, you know, as, as I've gotten older and as I look back at like things like Pokemon, Sailor Moon, Toonami, which were things that were kind of shaped my adolescence. What has kind of made me laugh in hindsight as I look back is how many people also watched this stuff or took part in this stuff. How many people loved Yu Yu Hakusho has been amazing to find out because I was like the, one of the only people in my school that liked Yu Yu Hakusho. But at the same time, I'm like, well, of course a bunch of people watched. This was a nationally broadcast show. Everybody watched it, but people didn't talk about it maybe as much as they do now like watching young young kids now talk about this anime that they watch like demon slayer right Mm -hmm. like they all just talk about demon slayer and i'm like that never happened with yu yu hakusho but of course we were all watching yu hakusho it was on toonami after school we loved it but we couldn't talk about it because there was just this i don't know like this disdain Especially once you got to your teens, preteens, I think people felt like comics were for children or cartoons were for children. And I'm happy that's changed. Yeah. I went to all black schools most of my life, shock, shock. Um, and uh, I don't recall that. I do, I remember that like Dragon Ball Z was a thing. Dragon Ball Z was ever present, but um i i got into punk and metal and like goth industrial type stuff like because i i I don't know at what point in my life i started hanging out with the skaters i just realized my sister was like a cheerleader and i would never be that and so i wanted to go full bore opposite of that and that was when i kind of got exposed to like what it's like to be like the earliest prototype of, of my blurtiness and I don't know there's this like sort of knee-jerk reaction when you've chosen a counterculture to be like I'm better than you I'm not like you guys you know you rap is crap and then like I think the the so I guess that's what like my initial idea of what nerdiness is is just being the counterculture to whatever is popular in your space um, but then like now in this moment, I think nerd means just being passionate and being true to the things that you're passionate about and the things you want to engage with and spend time with and spend energy on, um, regardless of what other people in your social group, age group, uh, friend group think, and just unapologetically loving what you love to me that's nerdiness 
Yeah, when I think about being called like or being a nerd in um in middle school or, or high school, you know, I was um me and my friends would play magic at the, you know, lunch uh tables and you know that kind of stuff. And so it was there was a certain amount of novelty to it. Like they like the people around us absolutely were not laughing with us. But they also weren't going to push us too much because it was a thing they enjoyed watching. So we were a bit of a spectacle um, and not one that carried with it any sort of like dignity or respect, but enough that, you know, they wouldn't give us too much grief because if we stopped, then the spectacle was gone. Um, so I, I think about it in that way. I also think about it in terms of it was my way of becoming closer in proximity to whiteness. So I'm half white. My mom's a white American woman. My father is a Mexican immigrant, mostly indigenous, um, that sort of thing. And I like, I nerdiness was a way in um, at that point. And I grew up mostly in, in white predominant spaces. Uh, once I left my hometown when I was eight, which was, I was mostly around Mexican immigrants. And then I was in like middle, firmly middle-class white kids. So like I wasn't middle-class, but I, my mom did good enough that I could like kind of be around them. So nerd culture was a way in for better and for a little bit of worse. Um, so yeah, I didn't mind being the butt of the joke in some cases with the other nerds, because that also meant being a part of the conversation. Uh, and that, and which is, as I say that, that's really sad. Uh, but, yeah. but you know, that was, you know, middle schools and uh, high school uh, in large part. Mm, that's completely relatable and when you like you said the quiet part out loud like where uh there was this sort of like a notion of like proximity to whiteness when I got into um like pop punk spaces and and all that sort of stuff it was just sort of this idea that like oh I transcended my race I'm different I'm special mm -hmm. and growing up was realizing that the friction that I felt between the the people in my high school that weren't me, you know, uh, was the result of me knowing that I didn't know who I was and I couldn't present myself with the level of honesty that a lot of black people require you to meet them with. And so like, it, it's hard to put into words, but it was just sort of, there was a point in my life when I, I, I hit a corner and I realized that like, the problem was never anyone else. It was always me and and my struggle with my identity. Where my my dad was blackity black, like you know, like preaching all of that sort of stuff. And that I didn't like that. I thought that was weird. And then realizing I was watching America's Next Top Model, where uh, Tyra was accosting a girl for being too proud of her African heritage. <laughs> I'd be like, you should have put that daishiki on. And since you didn't put that daishiki on, you're like, you're not serious about being a model, but you're too high. Like it was like, yeah. So I was growing up with that sort of messaging and it was really conflicting and um, just sort of a lot of the women that I idolized were blonde women. And it's just the messaging versus what I was seeing around me didn't match and uh, TLDR, it landed me in a space of like swirl and trying to find my place. And I didn't even have the added uh, bonus of, of being biracial, like both of my parents are black. And so it was just like a whole uh, self-hating journey that once I got out of, it was extremely lit. So, <laughs> like, 
I, I know for I'm out for, though, y'all. Like <laughs> rap music is great. <laughs> I, I know for me, so like I, I come from a family of nerds, and I think that that part was the hardest for my mother to accept that being called a nerd because you know, growing up when when she grew up being a nerd was absolutely derogatory. And I'm like, my brother and I were like, Mom, you call yourself a Trekkie. You're a nerd. Mm-hmm. Um so like liking you know things like star wars and comic books and things like like that that was totally normal to me and even when i moved up to michigan and went to like a predominantly black school for a few years like people were into like you know uh yu yu show dragon ball z like all the things that were on toonami so that was normal but then when i went to a predominantly white school in michigan i think there was a combination of i was one of the first black kids some of these people were meeting outside of seeing something on tv so the expectations for what they thought were blackness did not include that and so when you have 80 some odd white kids saying you're not black because you're into comic books and everything then you put all those interests into the category of whiteness mm-hmm. yeah that's that's kind of the same thing like i had to deal with growing up where it's like i went to a predominantly black school and again, I grew up like I, I love pro wrestling. I loved uh, superheroes, loved all that stuff. And like growing up, uh, it like I was called by predominantly black kids. They would say, Malik, you're so white. Like you're not black, you're white. And that that effed me up inside. Like, you know, it's like, well, well, damn, these things. and then you know, it cause like my family likes these things with me. So like, what does that like mean? And you know, like like for like I like I loved rock music. Like I was like in middle school listening to like Jimi Hendrix and stuff like that. And like kids would call me white for listening to rock music. And I'm just like, but we started it. <laughs> like, I don't understand. And who's gonna call Jimi Hendrix white? <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people did. <laughs> That's <fine. laughs> yeah, I mean, like there was a good little chunk of time where people were only hearing his music and not realizing. Anyway, yeah, no, same, same, same. And like, um, I, my nickname was White Girl at family functions because I didn't have rhythm. And I recently saw a video of me dancing as a kid. And let me tell you, I was on the two and four. Okay, I was, I was, I was getting it right. <laughs> It just like there's just this, there's like little micro like fractions of there's a lot of micro things nano things that black people notice and that is just sort of like I wasn't I wasn't hitting those points right but like yeah no it was there so I give my I give my little white girl self uh, kudos because she was doing her best but yeah no i feel you like it, that does like absolutely mess with you a little bit and your relationship to to like your your race and that was like a whole reason why i was kind of on that weird like exceptionalist stuff for a minute um and it, it just was being introspective enough that roped me back around to figuring out the fact that my people aren't the problem <laughs> it's me uh all right just experiment raise your hand if you were called you've been called an oreo at some point in your life okay eh, you know not too bad four four out of t- four out of six yeah so yeah i definitely uh I also i'm not black so that's relevant well yeah exactly <laughs> it's kind of skewed skewed study. or uh or uh, 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 wafer or uh uh i'm so excited to see what like, yes yeah 
uh, or Twinkie, or um... oh my god, yeah, no, I've heard that one before. <laughs> For me, I was just white. He was just white. But I you thought didn't I... get any seasoning, any flavor. It was just like that. You're just white. Yeah. Chris, I definitely agree with what you said. I mean, I definitely identify what you said where, you know, you're expected to like perform blackness like around white people because like, you know, when I, I, grew, I grew, I did like K through 12 around black kids. So like, you know, I hung out with the other nerds and there were like enough of us that you didn't, I didn't get the like the acting white label as much. But like when I got to college and I had, and I hung out with too many white people, unfortunately, it was like, you get the, you're not like a, you're not a, oh, Chris, you're not even really black. You don't do enough like black things, you know? And they're like, it's like they couldn't understand that like, okay, you could be a black person that enjoys, you know, some sort of entertainment that like comes from someplace else. It's like, that's like a foreign thing, you know? So yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And it does, and, and uh, just like Nisha said, you know, it does mess with your identity and then you have to sort of, you know, kind of deal with that you have that like moment where you're like who am i you know so yeah i totally totally get what you guys are saying for sure yeah college was definitely that awakening for me i was like i am tired of y'all telling me who i am i went to, went I, to college oh. in ohio unfortunately so <laughs> i went to um so i was raised in a predominantly white area i went to a predominantly white schools all my life and then when I went off to college, once again, at a predominantly white institution, but when I went off to college, it was the first time that I got to really interact with a black community. And going into that black community, I remember having times when black people would call me like an Oreo or they would be like, oh, you don't know how to play spades. Well, you're not black. And I finally got tired of it because I was like, I'm not here to do this with y'all. And finally, somebody said something like, well, you're not black because I don't know how to play spades and I finally said why is my blackness determined about determined on whether or not I can play cards and it just went dead quiet in this room and I just looked around and I was like is that the criteria is the criteria that I know certain words to certain songs is the criteria that I know how to play a game what's this criteria and who made it up and it was just dead quiet and I'll never forget that and um I'm happy now that there's more pushback when people say stuff like, oh, well, you're not black or you're not white. And it's like, well, who made up that rule? Is it that you don't understand how this works? Are you confused by the thing that I like? And so you have now determined that because you do not understand it, I am not X, Y, Z. I remember, what was it? I think that was, that was the rant. That was the rant that I had. And now I lost it. <laughs> you got time to worry about it. <laughs> no, uh, Kiki, I think you make a really good point. Um, so I know, like for me, uh, if if you put this in like language terms, if performing a racial identity is like speaking a language, uh, my ability to sp uh, to speak um, or perform Latinidad like shriveled up early because of family circumstances, things like that. I didn't have much of a relationship with that side of my family for a long time. Um, so yeah, it became tough later on dealing with this idea of like so much of how I know to, how to perform is rooted in like nerdy whiteness. And so does that, you know, what does that mean for identifying as a, as a Chicano, identifying as any kind of Latino? And um, when I'm in, you know, uh, Latin spaces, 
what does that mean in terms of how I relate to, you know, my own community in that regard? Like, am I any less than things like that? What I've come to understand is, I mean, yeah, there's some jokes like, uh, my uncle, one of my uncles, uh, likes to joke that, um, or when I was visiting Mexico, when I was 20, he told my mom, he says, you know, Bonnie, he, uh, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't dance. If you're not careful, he's going to turn gay. So there's all that to contend with. Right. Um, but at the same time, a lot of the things like the uh, a lot of things that come with being a nerd, like reading a lot, like, um, you know, being thoughtful or introspective or, you know, practicing articulation, things like that, when you when you're having these conversations with your friends was something that actually elevated me quite a bit in those spaces. Uh, and being able to navigate around white people was a talent that I didn't know I had until it was sort of like made clear by comparison with my, you know, uh, with my Latine uh, friends and family members who didn't necessarily have that skill set. Um, so yeah, it's, it was, it's weird. The idea of performing anything, right? Because it suggests there's a threshold that you have to cross and who got to decide where that threshold is. Right. Well, and you know, one thing that I think about a lot is like, well, they're, let's just make up something like, oh, you're black and you like opera. Oh, you're, that's a white people thing. And the question I would now ask people be like, is it a white people thing? Or is that something that we were excluded from taking part in? And because of that, you find that to be a white thing and you don't see that there is a history of exclusion. So this black person who is into opera, who is singing opera and doing this, these practices every week, they're breaking a barrier. And the only thing that you can think of is to try to mock that. And I think that's an approach that we need to start having with our communities. Like you're sitting here mocking someone for trying to break into something that maybe we were never allowed to do. And you need to think about why that is. Why is that your approach to this person doing something that you don't want to understand, frankly? But also, only, like, I feel like I've always felt like you can only fault. Um, I'm right now literally working on a YouTube video comparing L3 from Solo to R2D2. And all of this kind of stuff is like right there because you know, you can't, like, when someone's not, like, engaging in the struggle or engaging in, like, the fight, the cause, um, but they are living the experience, you can't really fault them for that, you know, because, like, sometimes people just don't want to, they don't have the energy, the extra space for all that, um, and so, like, that's where I've gotten with a lot of that sort of stuff, like, where it's just, like, yeah, people don't understand, but also it's, like, a lot of times people just are trying to survive. Like, they're not trying to figure out why I'm out here uh, dressing up like cartoon characters. Like, they're, like, <laughs> they're just trying to pay their bills. And so, like, I'm just, like, yeah, you know, I'm wild and you know how I do, and I move on with my life. And so I think it's sort of, like, you know, understanding that, like, it's what you said is awesome like to point out that like is that a thing that we were excluded from and a lot of the times when you throw those kind of nuggets at people they engage they go oh oh damn I never thought about it like that um but then if they don't that's fine too like you know people are going to come around to their their stuff at at their points that they come around to but the best you can do is to sort of live in your place and like live in, live in yourself and live in your identity and black joy is contagious. And when black people see other black people just being themselves, 
even if it's not shown to you in the moment, you'll see it down the line. I guess. I don't know. If that makes sense. Party. <laughs> that reminds me of something. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say that reminds me of something, this idea of being excluded a little bit. So uh, what Malik brought up earlier about like rock and roll and stuff like that, and who, you know, that's white people stuff or whatever. Um, so, and y'all, I may be telling y'all something, you know, but for anyone who's not aware, like Robert Johnson was a, a Delta blues musician uh, in the 1930s. And he is basically the biggest, um, one of the biggest rock and roll influences uh, from him. We get people like Jimmy Page or, um, oh boy, Eric Clapton, or that whole like he almost single-handedly inspired the British wave of rock and roll. And it, it was, he died in 1938 in Mississippi because I think he was killed by a man whose wife he was sleeping with, something along those lines. But his music was played in Carnegie Hall in like the late 30s, like within a year or two of his death, because some rich white feller uh, heard of him, loved his music, and said, "We need to get that guy in Carnegie Hall," which is. Kind of your home in the 1930s is one of the widest spaces you're going to find in the United States. Um, and when they couldn't, when they found out he was dead, they took his music and played it on record in Carnegie Hall. And from that, like you can trace a lot of rock and roll music back to it. So when people talk about like, well, you know, this group or that group, that kind of thing, these lines that we're drawing are in many ways arbitrary and to Kiki's point, exclusionary, right? And erases a lot of the the legacy that, you know, BIPOC folk have in these spaces, going back to the idea of like what it means to, um, or nerd spaces being predominantly white, which we've referenced already, but you know, how many amazing and fantastic creators of color or from marginalized groups do we have to thank for the current state of media going back to like, you know, Octavia Butler and like the parable of the sowers or, um, or, you know, folks like that. It's, there's so much that's already there and and by I don't know ignoring it I think does an even bigger disservice. I had a I had a I had a similar I'm sorry, Kiva. Um, do you want to go first or go ahead? I'll, I'll follow it up. I had a similar situation when I used, I used to work at GameStop and like someone asked me like while I was working the counter, oh like what's your favorite superhero? It was a a black guy came in and we were talking about superheroes and I said my favorite superhero was Superman and he oh you know well he's he's tied to my favorite superhero of someone else Chris knows who it is and uh, he says oh you like white heroes and like white people I'm like well no I love Superman because of Dwayne McDuffie so like it doesn't add up. <laughs> The um like I really like what you said, Dr. C about like the exclusionary and it it creates this idea that BIPOC people have never been in these nerdy spaces or have never contributed. And there's something that I like to do every now and then in the Star Wars fandom, which is remind people that women and BIPOC people took part in building that franchise. And um I made a video a while ago about someone who's named Ashley Boone Jr. Ashley Boone Jr. was worked on the original trilogy he for A New Hope. He was the one of the marketing people. He and George Lucas were the people who came up with the idea of let's release this on Memorial Day weekend. And the idea is all the kids will go see it that weekend and they're gonna go tell their little friends at school when they get back into school the next day or the next week. And it'll be a word of mouth. This is how we sell this film because Star Wars, you know, in the 1970s, it was so not out there but it was definitely campy even then, right? And it worked. And A New Hope was the biggest 
grossing film of the 1970s. And Ashley Boone Jr. is the person that you have to thank for a franchise because if they had not been able to sell this thing, there wouldn't have been Empire Strikes Back. There wouldn't have been anything if the marketing had been bad for this film. And I'm like, I'll have a black man to thank for this. And according to some sources, a queer black man to thank for this entire damn franchise. And so when people are like, oh, well, that's a, a white people thing. I'm like, a black queer man literally saved Star Wars. It doesn't matter how good you edit a film. It doesn't matter how good the acting is. It doesn't matter how good the music is. If nobody shows up to watch it, it doesn't matter. And he made it matter, you know? Yeah, you were the one who put me onto that because I had no idea at all, at all. And I think that's amazing. He's not even in, in Empire special. of Dreams. Huh? He's not even in Empire of Dreams, the documentary. Oh, that wow. talks yeah. about the original trilogy and leading into the prequels. Yeah, no, he's not even in the, No. Not that I remember correctly, no. I've no. never seen that. So, that's crazy. Hmm. I well, have, and I have I, a list before uh, Celebration to watch, I guess. Yeah, I went I went back and because I, I, was, I was feeling petty one day and I was like, well, let me go look at the original cast that worked on A New Hope and let me see how many maybe women there are. And so I found women and then I was like, let me just keep going and see if there's any, if there were any BIPOC people, because I've never heard of any BIPOC people that worked on the original trilogy outside of James Earl Jones, who did the voice of Darth Vader and um, Billy D, who of course did Lando. And I was like, that doesn't seem right. Like California in the 1970s, come on now. There, there was, there were some people of color down there doing some work. There were some BIPOC <laughs> somewhere on that project that just makes no sense that there wasn't and of course there were they just have never been highlighted i always learn so much from podcasts sorry i I know i I feel like we've touched on 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 several different questions yeah no we've gone through like four questions with the first one which is fine which is good but yeah um so i guess let's let's talk about uh today spaces you know being adults in in nerdy spaces do you still feel that um sort of uh that nerdiness that is sort of uh excluded from bipoc spaces or do you feel like the the tide is changing or has changed i feel like it has changed but it's like the problems and stuff that we have to deal with has kind of changed and evolved where it's like, okay, like first we have to get these BIPOC people into this space. Okay. Now we have to justify them being in this space. You know, like, so like for like, um, like, like for instance, like I, again, I, I like to bring it back to pro wrestling. Like back then there was a pro wrestler who cuts a promo and he pretty much, he's pretty, he pretty much cuts point saying, you know, like, Black people in the wrestling business aren't being afforded the same opportunities. It's like it's it's bad. It's unfortunate. I actually believe it's it was Ron Simmons who did this. I may be wrong about that, but um, he was portrayed as the bad guy. We were meant to boo him. And fast forward two years, we now have proper representation for Black people for wrestling. Like there's a wrestler named Bianca Belair. She came down to the ring with her ring attire, saying like Black Lives Matter and Black History in the making. But there are, there were, but like 
she came down and there were like white fans holding up signs that said cringe so it's like it's gotten like it's it's cool for me to see the representation but now i'm like okay now i see people calling the representation i'm finally getting cringe or bad or not good you know it's 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 like it's like i yes we've got steps forward but there's like frustrating steps back as well I just wanted to say before I forgot again, I wanted to be a pro wrestler when I was in middle school. So it's like, <laughs> also I'm five, five, three. Uh, there are plenty of short wrestlers out there. <laughs> no, please note the finger quotes, uh, rock in the air around that three. But um, yeah, no, I tried it uh, as a kid and then realized, oh, that would be a lot of work for you to do this uh, big who you are. Like, this is me. I work out. It's not going to, you know, <laughs> not going to happen for me, homie. Um, but I uh, I definitely remember there being Mark Henry and, uh, like, them having, like, the whole, like, also The Rock was originally in this whole, like, pro-Black group. Uh, I, I wish I could remember their names, but there was, uh, the, like, their the whole nation. thing was, yeah. yeah yeah so they had the rock in there with like a bunch of other black wrestlers and like that was their entire identity like where they were like we're the black dudes and i i feel like there was something progressive in there somewhere but it just it, it wasn't uh it, it was and they were portrayed as the bad guys and you're like why <laughs> The nation as in like the nation of islam is that what they were referencing i think probably there's a lot of problematic things like that in pro wrestling back in the day like i think they're i think the full name of their stable was called the nation of domination and they came out like you know doing like this and you know i i remember them dressing very black black panther like and the, oh god there was one time where they had a feud with the stable d generation x and like I believe they were meant to be the good guys, but like they legit one of them just does blackface to like mock them, and it's like it's so bad. I I completely forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's oh, oh my god. The attitude era was wild. Sorry, we've just pivoted way too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I could continue with the uh but this is all black nerdum, so yeah it's relevant wow okay continue everyone as you were yeah i think yeah <laughs> I, mean, I, think, <laughs> I think that in in nerdy spaces people have become a lot more aware of a lot of the whistles that used to exist and people are a lot more willing to call it out when they see it. Like, um, I remember people were literally like frothing at the mouth over there being a black elf in Lord of the Rings in the new series. And it was like, how come this is, and people start asking finally, people start asking like, why is this what ruins it for you? And it just is an uncomfortable question for people to answer because then you watch these people, they do like all of these like backflips and this mental gymnastics to try to, uh, where I'm gonna logic it up about why there can't be a black elf. And then the <laughs> final thing you come with is like, there's a dragon in this world. My, my like, favorite part. part. Like, 
favorite part about that is it happened right after the discourse about the Star Wars fandom being toxic started kicking up again. <laughs> and then that trailer dropped and then the Lord of the Rings fandom came in hot to save the day. Like they, they, uh, people were coming out and like just showing who they truly were. But it also, for me, it was kind of like this, this moment within the Lord of the Rings fandom where people were just like, you see, some of y'all been sitting here nice and comfy and all it took was you seeing a black person for you to come out full force and expose who you truly are. In, in the Lord of the Rings fandom, we have a problem with uh, racist wannabe Vikings um, that glom just a bit too hard onto this stuff. Mm. Uh, and it, you know what was really frustrating about all that for besides the the obvious um besides the obvious bigotry and things like that it was the idea that y'all brought up of like them doing the the, the logistical backflips and the stretching to make sure that like it made sense and my favorite thing my my favorite thing about all that was that if you read any of tolkien's like errata his notes and stuff that got published after his death old boy constantly changed the stories on a whim like he changes names he changes relationships he changes like the cosmology of his world like all kinds of stuff the man couldn't make up his mind because he just wanted to tell new stories that while well, he was also cribbing a whole lot of notes from uh, norse mythology and just remixing all that so i don't think he'd have a problem with anyone remixing his stuff um just as long as it's a good story as far as i can tell but also, See, I recall him being really like racist to the point of not dog whistling, but like dog boozling, and like just oh, there's a lot of that in. Someone started talking. Oh no, you're good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I What's mean this is all speculative, and like mm -hmm. I just, I just like I with the relationship with the orcs and. um just having done a relatively recent rewatch of Return of the King, I really, I, I want to make a whole essay out of this because it was like really interesting to notice a lot of little. Um, the orcs are a really interesting thing because in his, in one of his letters, Tolkien writes that he was intentionally using what he considered to be negative stereotypes about Mongolians. Like, so it was on the one hand, he knew this was problematic stuff and he was trying to make a point and it i don't think any of that carried through um but yeah he's a a fascinating and complicated guy that's so. really interesting then i want to look more into that because i there it carried through to me well it's uh, it's, it's also like there's a the I'm intent sorry. sorry no i just want to finish the thought i just want to see the intent the the other thing that comes to mind is that there's a scene in two towers that's left out of the movies and that is when there is a um it's either a haradrim or an easterling who is and they're the you know like north african uh east asian broadly speaking stereotyped folks uh where one of them is laying dead and sam comes across him in the books and says was he really such a bad man or was he maybe just caught up in things that he didn't himself understand maybe he was like vulnerable like the rest of us along those lines but we don't get that scene in the movies right um and so there there are things there that like indicate because Tolkien grew up he was born in South Africa I believe and he knew what apartheid was and in his adult life would speak against apartheid he told the Nazis to you know shove their flagpoles up their asses that kind of thing um but he was himself was also not immune to a lot of the really racist stuff that he grew up in so he's a he's a an interesting character um 
Yeah, but at least he was willing to change, you know. Mm-hmm. I Unlike a, some I, modern fantasy authors that we know. Uh, <laughs> I have uh, I have uh, two points I want to make. Um, I didn't realize how toxic Lord of the Rings fandom could get. I had a little taste of it, but I didn't think it was that bad because uh, w- I'm a big video game guy, and I was very, very excited for Middle Earth Shadow of War was coming out. And in the trailer, they showed a black Gondorian soldier who oh, becomes yeah. like your buddy throughout the game. Yeah, and I see, wow, there's a lot of people upset that Gondorian soldier's black. Uh, probably not much, though. And then, you know, this happened. And I also, I have a funny anecdote. Uh, my ex, uh, their family were, uh, I was close to their family. They were big Lord of the Rings fans. And I would go over to, to, to hang out with them in Maryland. They would always do a Lord of the Rings marathon every year. And I went to go watch them. And we're watching the Battle of uh, Pelennor Fields. And they come in Fiola fonts, and I'm like probably like one of two POC people there. And I just go, run, run from the people of color. <laughs> like they're coming to get you. <laughs> and like I, I thought it was funny, but everyone else is kind of like, we can't laugh at that. <laughs> I know, I know for me, so more recently, like I remember reactions to the, the 2000. Five Black Panther run in the comics where they were really just uh, the 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 writers were really just going to hit on several different race related issues regarding like the Bush administration and then when they did the Civil War era and, and hitting things on that you know like the first casualty nearly the main casualty of Civil War was Goliath who's a black superhero and you know they made a point of that in the Black Panther comics that they didn't even touch on in you know the uh main civil war comics or some of the other ones but i remember when the force awakens trailer dropped in 2014 and john boyega pops his black head up and <laughs> white star wars fans went they couldn't do it they right on handle it He's supposed to be a clone who's also not white. <laughs> right. They're like, all, all stormtroopers were white. And I was like, okay, first off, first off, <laughs> he may be a stormtrooper. He could also be a spy for the rebels that infiltrated. Like, you don't know. But the second off is like, okay, stormtroopers weren't white because not all clones became stormtroopers. And even if they did, like you falsely believe, they'd be brown because Tamora Morrison... <laughs> It, it is not a white man and then it became well yeah well palpatine only hired white people and i was like why would you want your neo-fascistic foot soldiers to only be white that's a very weird white male power fantasy like i could understand you know like if you wanted all the jedi to be white because they're supposed to be good guys but you want all the bad guys do you understand what you're saying like do you i don't think you do but that for us and then they started boycotting the the boycott star wars episode seven started kind of they were calling it i don't think woke was in the in in the cultural fabric no it wasn't but they were yeah right around the corner though right but they were talking about you know like they're eliminating white people and they started getting braces against john boyega and then anti-semitic against jj abrams because he's jewish and there it was it was just a mess 2014 was around the time I started uh, researching the alt-right and white nationalist uh, mm-hmm. uh, digital spaces and things like that. And I, 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 if I could, I would bleach my brain from the stuff that I saw, especially related to Finn in particular. Like, <laughs> it was, yeah. 
just terrible. Oh. I mean, once again, in a world where there's a fucking Bigfoot that can shoot a gun, it's the black people. <laughs> that really got you messed Suspension up. In a world where, where Bigfoots can jump through the light things and go really, really fast, it's the BIPOC people that are fucking it up. Like, you as, and the best this time. Is there is no reflection when you bring that up like they cannot reflect on that I'm like it's just like made up an idea in my head of how the star wars works and i'm like you mean the motherfucking fake galaxy far far away that you could never go to or survive in for five and a half motherfucking seconds because in your mind ipoc people is so far freaking out there but you think you'd survive there really Really? Okay. Literally, it's just wizards with laser swords when we start mentioning real life stuff. But like, up until then, Anakin was okay. And like, up until the Jedi didn't carry him the right way and didn't protect his feelings the right way. Like, there's all this room for um like elaborate thinking and like all of this sort of stuff but the moment you start talking about how the droids kind of present an issue in terms of like social hierarchy and um oppression of people and all this sort of like like it's sort of like hey what if that's a metaphor for why are you making it political like it's just space cowboys with laser swords like you guys are thinking about this too much why are you bringing real world politics into this literally saw someone say that um literally saw someone say that using the word democracy and that one fight was taking them out of the fantasy universe. When it's like, okay, cool. So let's, th- they also use the word Senate and, and um, slave. Uh, emperor. Republic. Yeah. Like there's a lot of political words that exist in our universe that didn't itch your ass as much as someone using the word democracy. I wonder why. Uh, just, just, just sit with that one for a little bit. Well, I think Second. what happens is a bunch of like, so the movies came out in the seventies and eighties, and then there's like this cold period where like no Star Wars movies came out until like the early two thousands. And I'm like, I think what happened was a bunch of y'all wrote your own fucking fan fiction about what happened for about you know a solid what I can't math like twenty some years you did you did the fan fictions. And then, you know, the sequels came out and you couldn't handle it because George Lucas didn't make your fucking fan fiction like canon. And then it happened again with the new trilogy. (laughs) I I can't say. I will extend uh, a little something to Gen X about the the prequels. I will say that had to be wild for that to be like the first like <laughs> canon media you're getting when There's the last problem. thing you got you know was like the OG trilogy and suddenly you the, one of the first faces you see is Jar Jar Binks like I get it right but it's just sort of the lengths they took it to and this was not just limited to the prequels this was like kind of a cultural thing at the time it feels like and that's why I think cultural, uh, historical context is really important when you're thinking about 
um, how people engage with stuff like that versus like how they engage with stuff now. Because I feel like a lot of younger people, like our generation and stuff, like look at how people are reacting to um, how people reacted to the prequels and they're kind of like, oh, how weird and like ridiculous. But then, you know, like at the time we were also like, stalking celebrities and not treating them like people and taking pictures of them while they were out like getting to their houses and like calling people fat on the covers of magazines like these were all like normal things to do that you cannot justify now but like you know somehow made sense in the cultural zeitgeist of the time but uh, yeah, sending death tre- death threats to uh, child actors is never okay. No, those people were absolutely just entirely out of line. Um, but sort of while we're on this vein, I would like to take this opportunity to make y'all angry. Um, so uh, I just remember that uh, one of the papers I helped co-author, and there was like 10 of us on this project, so I use that term loosely, was uh, looking at how right-wing uh alt-right news media was taking Star Wars and making it into their own political propaganda talking points. So um, we looked at Breitbart in particular, among some other places. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember specifically Breitbart running an article where this little kid uh, wore a, it was like a eight years old kid, wore a, um, st- a Stormtrooper uh, shirt with a, you know, and the Stormtrooper's carrying a blaster. And he is uh, forced to go home because he's wearing a shirt that uh, depicts a firearm on it, right? And they took that story, like the kid had to change shirts or something along those lines. Uh, maybe he had to go home, but I know he had to change shirts. And uh, the they took that story and ran with it as like, because this was within the first year of, of uh, Force Awakens coming out, of like comparing basically conservatives to um, the republic or the rebels and like the liberals with their anti-gun agenda being the uh first order and all that kind of stuff and like it was a part of a it was a part of a trend that they were using this especially when they did film reviews of the first of uh of force awakens to put it in those kind of lights so it was it was fascinating and also gross to behold yeah that sounds about right uh, one thing I would like to, to switch over to another different uh, racial discourse in the fandom. I noticed behind you, Doctor Cruz, those D and D books. So uh, yeah, not 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 too long ago, uh, Wizards of the Coast. I I literally have that one in my stack as well. I love Fizzmans. Um, yeah. Wizards of the Coast had decided to eliminate the whole oh, like, if you're this race, you're chaotic evil or chaotic good. Like, they got rid of those, like, you know, descriptions of saying, like, oh, man. Antique. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, saying, like, oh, like, orcs are chaotic evil or, like, our humans are, like, lawful good and that kind of stuff. And they they did away with those descriptions from, like, the rules and, like, the, uh, the DM guides and all that stuff. And a lot of people got really angry about that. For some reason, saying like, "No, like this, this is how Gygax envisions was. You can't change it now." And I'm like, "Really? We're so hung up on that? A game where you literally, as an adult, sit at a table and you play pretend? <laughs> You're hung up on like this race is evil?" As a, as a, as, if I might put my academic hat on uh, and speak 
as a PhD. Uh, there's a very good reason for to explain that phenomenon, and it's that they're dumb. Um, <laughs> that's the sum total of it. Because I mean, for God's sake, I mean, I, I, I recently talked to Jeremiah McCoy, who folks might know on TikTok as Basics of the Game. Um, he and I, he was on my podcast recently. We we're talking about how how many times that game has changed, even in just the first five years of its existence, and like this idea that you know, we're, people are tied to this idea of like, oh, if you're an orc, you have to have, you know, you have a plus two constitution. Okay. So we're doing stereotypes about hyper athletic bodies. Fine. Uh, and also like a negative to intelligence. So we don't see that this is racist. That, how, how do we not, we're, we're moting someone's intelligence because of their race. I, I, we can't make this any more explicit. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but you know, it's, it's also, and, and to, to circle back to something that, you know, um, Chris has done, uh, there's more of us, right? There's so many more of us than there are of them. Um, which is why, you know, I, as a rule, think it's it like, I think that like people who cosplay in particular folks of color who like race bend characters and stuff like that are doing inherently pro-social work because all this stuff is connected to each other, you know, um, and expanding that sort of social imagination. And I look forward to see how D and D changes moving forward, um, in that way. You know, I've really enjoyed, one thing I've really enjoyed about Star Wars in the past couple of years, like The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian is played by Pedro Pascal. He is canonically a Chilean, well, I guess, Latine. Mm -hmm. Right? Sorry, yeah. I was like, yes, he's Latine. He's canonically in the universe. You cannot ever fucking argue at this point. And, like, there were Oh no, who is Oscar Isaacs was also mm -hmm. in the the sequels. Anyway, Jimmy Smiths. Jimmy Smiths. <laughs> Jimmy Smiths, I'm sorry. I'm yes, not sure if he's, there's, I don't there's know if he's a one lot. of us, but we do claim him. Oh um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, my point my point being you have a Chilean American actor who is currently leading the Mandalorian, which I mean, I will make the argument that the Mandalorian is the current main character of the Star Wars franchise. It is through Din Djarin that we are watching Star Wars happen these days, aside from the Bad Batch, which yeah, I'm just like, which once again, canonically character BIPOC characters who are modeled after Tamara Morrison. And so I'm like, I'm just loving it. And, you know, all of the, the screeches that you heard coming out of the sequels, you can't hear them with the Mandalorian. You can't hear them with the Bad Batch. You can't hear them with the Book of Boba Fett because it's just like, no, they are the center main character. You can deal with it or you don't watch Star Wars. Have a good day. Yeah. And that's where the conversation ends. They're not the side character. They're not the support to a white hero. They are the main character. A Chilean, a Chilean, Chilean American man is the main character of Star Wars right now, and everybody can bite it. I think one of the interesting things that um, I learned there's this—I don't even know if you can call it a documentary—but it's called *The People versus George Lucas*, which is basically a bunch of butthurt prequel fans or butthurt uh, OG fans reacting to the prequels, and. One of the things, and, and, and it's majority of white fans, except for one black guy that's in the documentary. And I was so upset when I saw him because I was like, <laughs> man. But, You're the Uncle Ruckus theme. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it was just that, you know, the one of the things, the points that they try to make in that is that 
Star Wars belonged to the fans by the time the prequels came out. It was no longer George Lucas's. And the way I look at that and how people are reacting in the MCU and the DCU I was gonna get to, I was gonna get to and that. even see, see an anime is that you have these white fans that are saying, no, these are ours. Why are you trying to take it away by giving, you know, like Black mm-hmm. Panther and Shang-Chi and Black Widow and, you know, uh, Wanda, you know, like, you know, she's a villain and, a, you know, that whole discourse. And then the DCEU having its broader interpretations of uh, different heroes being of color. And they're like, well, why isn't Aquaman a blonde white guy, you know? Uh, and, and so it's these sort of things that are just like the existence of BIPOC people automatically threatens their identities whereas the they expect that the lack of BIPOC faces and things doesn't threaten ours Chris do you remember uh because we we passed the one year anniversary of it Falcon and the Winter Soldier you remember mm-hmm. the uh the mess that was on TikTok because I because oh, you know y'all had Straw had Goofy Black out here crying you know you know, every was... black creator got gaslit. Oh my what gosh! So pretty much, when Falcon and the Winter Soldier dropped, <laughs> any black creator that talked about it was basically talking about how it was dealing with race relations in America and how uh, Sam Wilson, as a black man, having to wear the stars and stripes, and so comment sections were filled with, "No, you're just making this about this is about race. This is not what it's about. You're the problem." blah 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 for probably like three weeks until they brought in Isaiah uh, Bradley yeah until they brought in Isaiah Bradley yeah yeah then they disappeared I I had I had a I had a friend of mine who like when the first episode dropped I'm like you kidding me it's so unrealistic Sam couldn't get alone I'm just like it's not it's really not (laughs) it's not unrealistic at all well you know and Sorry. You go. No, I think this is what makes it so important is from the get-go, from the get-go, you need to include diversity in your fantasy creations from day one. Because, I mean, there's a lot to unpack with it. But, you know, if you're a creator of fantasy, of any kind of fantasy, and there is no diversity, you need to understand that this is what your fandom is going to do forever. The minute that you just that somebody else, like, let's say you write a book, you write a book about, I don't know, some little girl who goes to a witch school and she learns how to become a witch, but there's no diversity that you've ever bothered to write into that. Well, let's say, uh, I don't know, Disney gets a hold of that book. They decide to adapt it into a film. gets bigger and bigger. And they're like, you know what? Uh, Let's have some diversity in this casting. The amount of mouth frothing that is going to happen and you as a creator could have shut that down on day one by putting in canonically, this character is Asian. This character is black. There would have been no arguing with you from day one. And so I think that there needs to also be a certain responsibility that we start putting on creators or just saying like, well, why didn't you bother to write this diversity, frankly? That's that's kind of what happened with. Why, why didn't you? Why was this not important to you? It's important now that you got yourself a little movie deal, and everybody's coming and asking you why didn't you bother to do the diversity? But back when you was writing this out, you didn't even think it was important. Something, 
something similar like that happened with Spider-Man Homecoming, but in like the reverse when it came out, because like he like John Watts was very like racially blind casting throughout like Peter's high school, you know, with with Ned and um, Flash Thompson. A lot of people were like, why are you changing their race? And he simply replied with, have you been to a public high school in New York? <laughs> Do you know what kind of kid? You know, it's not just white kids in there, right? <laughs> Also, it's like the same people who will cry. Oh, it's about the best person for the role when they like whitewash an actor. So it's like, why can't you apply the same logic? Maybe these people were the best actors for the role. One of my favorite memories being the old school, like, well, not old school, but like, remember from the earlier 2000s, right? Nick Fury. Samuel L. Jackson was going to be Nick Fury, and people were like, having the fits, right? And then Samuel L. Jackson shows up and it's Nick Fury, and everyone went dead quiet overnight. They're like, oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, he's that freaking good. And y'all was going to sit here, I don't think about the. Y'all almost lost Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson. Who else could ever play that role if we look back, you know? Yeah, I was just like, that line. That line, I recognize the council's made a decision, but given it's a stupid ass decision, I'm elected to ignore it. Who else could have delivered that? Sorry. No, no, I was just gonna say that it's, it's actually amazing how Sam Jay has like really just defined that role where I actually forgot that Nick Fury was white in the comics for like mm-hmm. 50 billion years. And now I could never see, I could never see a Nick Fury that like wasn't Sam J because he's been in that role for so long and he pretty much like made it his own, you know? So yeah. I booted I booted up Marvel Ultimate Alliance one and was hella confused. I was like, oh that's right. <laughs> <laughs> right, you all it's, it's interesting okay. that we're talking about this because I just got a comment on one of my YouTube videos, which was the upload of when I did the Hamilton Star Wars mashup and I had uh nico nico skywalker on tiktok uh do obi-wan because he has an obi-wan cosplay and someone just left a a comment obi-wan going blackface (laughs) i saw one chris i don't know if i sent you this it was like a tweet like from some racist like like a racist anime fan and they were like anime is supposed to be an escape Anime is supposed to be an escape from reality, so it doesn't need black people in it. I was like, oh my god. Tell on yourself, why don't you? Jesus Christ. I just, I can't believe that some of these people, like, exist and they're real and they, like, have jobs, you know, they go to school and they go to work and they go to doctor's appointments and they, like, pick up their groceries and that's just what goes through their mind, you know? And it makes you paranoid, like, every time you go outside, you know? It's just, yeah. You know, like, one of the wildest things for me has been being on TikTok and watching people using their full government name and face get on there, and like I said, there can't be Black people in Lord Rings. And they have a whole freaking presentation, and I kind of sit there, I'm like... Now... You felt so comfortable in making this argument that my next question is how safe does society feel for you? You know what I'm saying? Like that you feel that there is going to be no right, like no possibility that anyone could disagree with you, that everyone's going to take this 
crazy argument you have made and be like, yeah, that was logic. That was really good logic. I agree. And like, you could not comprehend at any point that you're like, maybe am I possibly not being right? This is the direct result of online um, echo chambers where you used to like your Twitters and your Facebooks where you're, you've been insulated by algorithms to have people who have the same views as you to the point that you think this is normal and it's okay. And so you're comfy when you get on an app like TikTok to put your face to it. And then there's just this egregious level of shock, shock when all of a sudden your public enemy number one would you say your goofy shit out loud with your face attached to it well and here's the thing though that boggles my mind is because i'm like you know so i mean this is this is something to unpack because we're going to kind of wander off into the but i have i've said my time and time again people have not learned how to not be racist they've learned what to not say publicly with their name on it they've learned to not what what not to say at the workplace that's what they've learned. They've not learned how to stop being racist. And so when I think about this, like, you know, they come on here and they make these wild ass arguments on TikTok or YouTube. I'm kind of like, now this is something I don't think that you'd be willing to say in the same room as your HR person. Or maybe you would, which is another story to talk about. You wouldn't say this though, maybe in a room with all of your coworkers who are BIPOC. Why did you feel secure and safe yelling at this on TikTok when you know damn well this would be a very uncomfortable conversation in person with the BIPOC people you actually know? You know, you thought you were going to get away with it. That's what it comes down to. I think it's in the same vein as those folks who will lip sync songs that have the N-word in it, but they won't say the N-word because they know they're trading on racist sensationalism uh, while also maintaining some degree of plausible deniability about it. Like, I, to me, that is just the entire, like, it's almost a Venn diagram, I bet, but that's, you know. It, have y'all seen the uh, uh, the video of, of this white girl singing, I think it's like a little Dirk song, whatever that's been floating around social media. Oh, people, the girl in the dress, the red dress with the yeah, other white girl. People were like hyping over there. They're like, oh, okay, I see you. Well, someone went on her Twitter and found that in 2018, she was talking about some bobcat that she thought she, people were asking her, I guess, the scar that she had around her eye and where she got it from. She was like, oh, yeah, no, I saw this bobcat on the side of the road. I hopped out of my car and I poked that nigga and then he got up and scratched me. And it's like, it's like just like you. Okay. Like, there's no just uh, reason for you to say that. But why Why did you feel comfortable to say it there? But then, you know, like, my... Why did it come out so smooth? Right. The first, the first, the first thought that popped into my head, I was like, well, now I know she's good at singing all the words to that song. Like, you know. <laughs> I, 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 and I know, like, I, you know, growing up in, 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 a, in a Christian household, and only listening being able to listen like you know uh you know once i was able to listen right like only the clean version right and just be like if i can duck and dive and dodge around any cuss word in a rap song i know good and well you don't have to say the n word <laughs> full fury if i could avoid dropping an f-bomb around my parents same energy same energy but also 
I don't know. I don't, and also, I like I saw a tweet where someone was saying, "Oh, that's not real. It's not real." So I don't know. Um, but I just there's, I just think there's something for all of us to examine, in the fact that consistently, there are videos, of, white people doing, the absolute god tiered bare minimum where they're literally at a party lip syncing to a song or whatever sometimes just on the side of the road lip syncing to a song and a camera passes by them and we as a community hype them up to a point where they can achieve a status that we so rarely ever get to be anywhere near and it is really something to unpack where I know so many brown people who have been killing it mm-hmm. in the rock game. Like, literally, like, two of my mutuals are absolute gods in hardcore and and punk and metal. And, like, both of them have gone viral for stuff they've done. One of them got, uh, there's, yeah, no, like, like, both of them have gone viral and they're black dudes and they still have that like if they were were white i feel like they would already be like on whatever the post cancellation ellen is now you know like i just I, it just upsets me because oh hey whoops jumping ahead <laughs> no you're good you're good yeah we, we, we've been out of order like... for a while it's all good <laughs> it's all it, 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 those it, those they're more like guidelines anyway <laughs> you say you wouldn't be good at D. <laughs> so hear me out i feel like my friends who are some of the most passionate musicians and i see that also both of them even though they exist in the punk and hardcore scene um are incredibly easy to fluctuate between that enormous TikTok kind of stuff. And they deserve the world, but they're black men. And so they have to do a whole lot of um struggling to sort of I don't know, they get the followers, but they don't get the other things that come with it. And that's sort of like the bane of my existence because it's like an uphill battle with privilege and all that sort of stuff anyway do you feel like the phrase you have to work twice as hard to get help yes yes it's a very real thing that uh whole speech from scandal i don't know if anyone of us watched that but yeah that that that's that's well besides the fact that i grew up hearing that i remember I'm I'm in my room. I'm actually doing homework for once in high school, and uh, my my parents are watching Scandal. They pause it. They have you know they have TiVo. They call me, and I'm like I'm doing homework. They're like come out here now, and you, they have that tone where it's just like, what did I do now? Use <laughs> <laughs> the middle name. Both of them. Uh, so then then you know they I, I'm sitting at the railing. They're like watch this. And, you know, he's like, you have to be, I have to be what? You have to be what? I have to be twice as good to get, to get half of what they have. And they're like, haven't we been telling you that your whole life? And I'm like, (laughs) (sighs) 
I was like, not with that mustard on it. Dang. <laughs> like, you made a meal out of that. Well, like, he's human servant. I, I think that you see this all the time on social media. Like, you were just talking about this. I mean, the amount of mutuals that I have that are women, BIPOC, queer, openly queer, that they make amazing content about um, nerd stuff. Cause I'm not, I'm not trying to get in, into trouble with any particular company here. <laughs> they make nerd content. I, I don't want, I don't want no, no letters from any animal, animal related, <laughs> animal related company. Maybe send me a letter. Um, oh, I have to kick it That was disturbing. <laughs> We see like no, a mouse shaped laser dot on Kiki's forehead. Are we, are we talking about that particular international conglomerate that's about to roll six deep on Ron DeSantis? That, that particular if, there, if there are any corporate attorneys for the mouse, this is not always about you. But if you hear <laughs> this as being about the mouse, well, wet loose, wear that shoe up and take it to the fucking Met Gala. Oh. Like, also, if you want to send me a six-figure salary and hire me. <laughs> also, but, like, I will sell out to go on Galactic Star Cruiser. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. My, my price for selling out is pretty freaking low. But um, <laughs> I've proven it, too. <laughs> I got a price. Anyway, here's the thing. Like, I watch so many of my mutuals. Just never get these deals and then somebody will come on make content that's okay and suddenly they're getting invited to premieres they're getting uh, free stuff sent to their door they're you know and i i have sat here and pondered why this is and the only thing that i can come up with is that despite many of these companies saying that they care about diversity equity and inclusion they're marketing to one group at the end of the day because it's one group that traditionally is where they have felt that they've always gotten their attention and money from. And they're too afraid of ever truly angering that demographic. And by angering that demographic, I mean doing outreach to other communities is what they fear is going to anger that demographic and push that demographic away from their money line. And so I think that these companies have a lot to prove, frankly. If they're going to sit there and say, we care about diversity, equity, and inclusion, well, then why are you not bringing certain people to these premieres? Mm -hmm. If you believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion, why are you not actually showing it with them where you put your money? And I think, and I hope that these companies are starting to realize this because it's not a good look, frankly, for them. It's not a good look. And more and more creators are beginning to talk about this. More BIPOC diverse creators are talking about the fact that only certain people get invited places and certain people get nice things. And those people don't always look like the demographics that we actually have in the United States of America. And I think it's because they focus on diversity and not equity and inclusion. Like you, you, you need all three to get belonging and it's either you don't want these BIPOC faces to belong or you think just the diversity is, is going to get them to, uh, you know, give them the money. It's just just the bare minimum to, to get you the, the money, uh, which I guess is, is a perfect segue to going into 
tokenism and pandering versus true representation. Oh, go, you got it. I, I, had a, I had a point on this that I just want to make that I think will connect, but also I, I, before we get too far away from it. Um, I was thinking about this earlier today, and like it, it seems to me that our relationship with a lot of these um, pop culture entities tends to be like an abusive one where like if you're in a friend group and there's one person who like maybe sort of mothers people you know like checks in how you doing that kind of stuff but they don't ask you right like mm-hmm. they and and if you don't perform your friendship responsibilities the way that you typically do if you withhold in any way then suddenly that's a problem Right. Like that's a lot of the time how it feels to me. And what's interesting about this as well, because, you know, capitalism has no uh, moral principle beyond its own uh, existence. Um, uh, in the 1930s, uh, I want to say like 1935 in particular, the sound I'm thinking of comes from, there were about 133 million people in the United States, but there were roughly, in, there were an estimated 100 million comic books in circulation annually and would be that way until about the early 50s. And you can't have that many comics in circulation without them being read by almost every demographic in society, especially because the um, the reading level at the time was like elementary school and comic books were a unique combination of uh, simplified wording, simple storytelling and visual imagery that could fill in the gaps if you didn't have the vocabulary to read along. Like they have always been dependent on the marginalized to keep their sales up, uh, especially when you talk about like moving into the the seventies and eighties with like the underground pop culture, the underground comic books, and folks rebelling against the CCA and things like that. Um, like they depended on fringe groups to survive. So then the fact that they don't give us, you know, that. <laughs> Uh, they don't take the opportunity to take these um, folks, these creators who are doing, you know, really interesting and talented. And if for no other reason than just persistent uh, efforts um, to be a part of like, I don't know, show some recognition, like is, it's abjectly terrible. Um, but again, what they care about is the perception because for all the stats that I just throw out there, everyone knows that the perception of the stereotypical uh, geek or nerd is you know a straight white dude right anyway we were moving on to something else <laughs> no 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 that, no that perfect uh that's perfect and that that fits with you know uh tokenism pandering and, and true representation and it's funny because when i've seen lately people talking about tokenism and pandering it's not bipoc it's not coming out of a bipoc face it's coming out of a white male face that no. is saying that you know, oh, this character is pandering or is a token. They're not actual representation. Why do you like it? Mm-hmm. Also, right. you know, there's my pa- personal favorite uh, that's not have anything to do with it, but it just popped in my head. Well, what if Black Panther was white? But that's neither here nor. Have you seen that Photoshop <laughs> with uh, it's um, Ryan Gosling? Ryan Gosling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have I made a video about this a long time ago. But I was talking about how if you grow up as someone with a marginalized identity in the United States, and I'm going to specifically talk about the U.S., you learn from a very young age that you might not ever see yourself portrayed on screen in the way that you always wanted. And what that means is that if you grew up within a marginalized identity in the United States, you learn how to identify with a character that does not look like you, that does not necessarily have your sexuality, and does not maybe have your marginalized identity 
you learn how to compartmentalize, but still heavily identify with a character. And my example that I give is Luke Skywalker. I'm adopted. Luke Skywalker was adopted. Luke Skywalker is a white man. I am a black woman, but I still heavily identify with Luke Skywalker because of different things that we have shared experiment experience wise in our lives from like, you know, um, reconnecting with your family, uh, learning about your family's past, learning about who you are, learning how to control your emotions, all things I completely understand. But if you grow up as somebody who has always seen yourself consistently portrayed, you never learn how to do this. You learn never how to identify with a character that does not look like you or does not have your full identity being showcased. So what happens is they'll have a character who is maybe Latine, a queer Latine character who is leading some fantasy thing, and they cannot identify, they cannot connect with this character because they have never learned that there is anything relatable about a BIPOC person or a BIPOC character or a queer character. And so that is where you get this lashback of its tokenism. For them, it's tokenism because they've never learned to value that identity or that group of people. When they're not the center, suddenly it's an attack and it's an erasure of them. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. To 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 add on um, with what Kiki's saying, like uh, to the remember dimension of it, it's like I grew up loving video games, and like I like one of my first characters I got to like attach to was um, funny enough was uh, Sora because from Kingdom Hearts because like mm-hmm. he gets to go into these worlds I've always wanted to go into as a kid, and I just I always wanted that, and like that's also why I've kind of always gravitated to like games where i can create my own character or like customize you know like i was a big skyrim kid um growing up because i got to make my awesome black warrior who fights the dragon mm-hmm. and saves the day like mass effect hit home with me so hard because like as someone who's always loved sci-fi and always loved like um going on like grand space adventures like see- seeing myself as the hero i got to like make my awesome black um like space hero who's like facing down the odds and doing the impossible and kissing all the of all the cute alien women like yes like this is what i've always wanted to do (laughs) and like there's a like there's like there's a moment that hit me so hard that like when i made like this black character where like there's been mass effect 2 where you're fighting this dude who like who, who who runs a corrupt prison and is like selling off prisoners as like slaves and like my black shepherd with his gun tells this guy you're a two-bit slave trader and i don't have the time for you and loads his gun i was like let's go <laughs> like, i was so pumped like, like oh it just it just it it adds so much and like you know growing up having to learn to like relate to characters who like you know don't are aren't don't look like you it was such like an escape to have video games where i could make the character look like me and you know you know they still we're still dealing with you know how to put black hair in video games that's another discussion (laughs) but i know like that game for me like i played skyrim and mass effect too but for like for me in star wars it was jedi knight jedi academy where i can make you know a, a black Jedi and I was the hero and you know I you know I saved the day and you know I got to train with Luke Skywalker and Kyle Katarn 
And I was just like, so when people were just like, oh, you don't know Revan, you're not a real Star Wars fan. I was like, you don't know Jaden Core, you're not a real Star Wars fan, okay? Revan is subpar, you know. Well, but hold it, on it, it, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's just like you know, being able to uh, insert yourself and actually like see someone that looks like you. And I mean, granted, you go back to early 2000s games. What are, what is your face more than just like? you know a square with, with brown paint on it but you know it, like that that was enough um and so when you have something like you know like turning red that came out recently and how you had that one uh the one uh reviewer saying like he, he was bored he couldn't see himself in it and you know i'm like i watched it within the first few minutes i'm like talking about I'm like and this guy was like he had to be in his 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 uh early 30s maybe late 20s and i'm just like you can't identify with being a preteen in the early that 2000s that was the yeah. like, like hating your parents for a little while you know tamagotchis that's like, like, the up, like being in any rock scene you're listening to people complaining about their lives that are like they're they have like parents that are make eggs so much more money they're in like this nice crisp clean town like all of these things that like you don't have like i mean that was and by you i mean me like i'm just like relating to chester from lincoln park and trent reznor and like marilyn freaking manson as a tiny brown girl growing up with like two parents struggling to pay bills and you know like it's it's just we can bend ourselves however we need to to fit the narratives we are given and it's just sort of like y'all can't take a, a fraction of a second to just maybe not be the center of attention for two seconds Like, one of my favorite movies was Clockwork Orange. I made that work for me. How can y'all not relate to me as a, a, a protagonist in some story at some point? Like, it's just, uh, I, yeah. I'm I, it's complete, I am of the complete belief that privilege makes you fragile. Mm -hmm. um, it and is, I think it is of, crippling. It is, I, I'm a perfect example. I think I, I've worn shoes and socks my entire life, and my feet are the most untouchable part of my body because they've been covered so aggressively my entire life. Not to be weird, but when I lived in Croatia, there was like they don't have sand beaches, they have pebble beaches. It is impossible to walk on pebbles when you have been raised to walk on cotton or on fabric your entire life. On to your point. Yeah, I don't know if you ever saw, like, back in the early 2000s, comedian Christopher Tucker did a show, and I believe it was called Norman Rockwell is Burning. And he opens with telling the story of, like, the world is ending, and, or, like, or he, he, he talks about, oh, like, you know, the people, like, oh gosh, let me go back. So he opens it up and he starts talking about how, according to some surveys, 60 some American families are now considered dysfunctional. And he goes, you hear that? It's the people with the mommy, the daddy, the golden retriever, the nice little house and the burbs. They're the, 
the 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 people who are out there now and talking about and he very quickly goes over this idea which is if you have grown up going through things if you have grown up in situations that are not good which essentially he was talking about a lack of privilege you know how to handle things and then he made a joke about how people who had grown up with things working perfectly through their whole life they would crumple at the smallest amount of stress they could not handle it and i mean how many of us have seen that happen in real life you know whether it is our job whether it is our friend group whether it is our social group somebody whose life has they've grown up in privilege they've had things handed to them you know on a silver platter and something like somebody opened a door and banged their car and now their car has a scratch and they're just having a full-blown breakdown over it like i can't i can't do this right now this is too much and you're like bro go to walmart get like you know get something to fill in the scratch and then get like some car paint it's gonna be fine and they can't handle it and i'm like man privilege is one hell of a drug i think another thing uh, kiki um oh sorry oh uh, i'm just gonna add on um I know that that comedy special you're talking about, Kiki. Uh, I think that was Chris Titus, and uh, in that some, that's it. Yes, sorry. In, in that in that bit, he has a joke where he says, "You can't trust normal people because uh, when normal people are in a room and shit hits the fan, they just stare at it until it hits them in the face." <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I'm sorry, Malik. You're good. Uh, but uh, yeah, to add on, to, like Kiki says, is that like privilege is not always obvious, like. To like that and like that and that I think like a lot of these people need to realize that like 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 for an example like I I'll bring up two examples like one real life one um one fictitious uh in Cloak and Dagger uh I uh I I uh Tyrone uh that's his that's his name right his his name is Tyrone yeah Tyrone Tyrone and Tandy yeah he's like yeah he's like arguing with her and she's saying like I had to like steal from stores to survive and he goes yeah. You could steal from stores. You could get away from that store. I can't. Like, you know, and like, and even still in like my real life, when like the the BLM protests were happening, uh, I had a, a white friend of mine saying, like, I just want things to go back to normal before. And like, oh, yeah, that's that's normal for you. Normal for me is walking outside and being in fear still. So it's just like it's 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 like it's not always like obvious. Like, you know, it's not very much, oh, your life was easier. It's just, no, your viewpoint or, like, how things are just different for you. And it's just, you know, it, it's, like, like again, like, much like the, the Cloak and Dagger thing, you know, like, she still had to steal, but she could do it. Like, she could, like, if Tyrone had to steal, like, he, it's not going to be as easy for him, you know? It's it's, it's, well, it's stuff like that. I would have I would have walked out the room. If someone said that to someone in front of me, I, I would not have been able to function. Wow. Wow, because that's so, so that, real, but also so rude. <laughs> but you know, Malik, that reminds me of something when we talk about these stories being political uh, and people getting upset about it. So um, the the theory that I like to use the most in my research is called narrative paradigm. And just to boil it all down, basically, we make sense of the world based on stories. We organize the world according to stories instead of like a purely logistical puzzle because humans are machines. Um, and when you apply that to mass media and storytelling. 
uh, you have two things that uh, are really important to that. One is called narrative coherence, and that is whether or not the story makes sense in and of itself, whether or not it logically flows, and then narrative fidelity. And fidelity is the degree to which it resonates with our lives. So if it resonates with our lives, we're more likely to believe it as being a good story or a reasonable story. So to your point, when people see like an episode like Cloak and Dagger, which I was really disappointed that they canceled. I really enjoyed that show. Um, and they make those points, people saying, well, they're making it political. No, they're telling a story that has narrative fidelity for certain people, and you ain't one of them. But what's wild about this is the inability to extrapolate their own lives and put it on screen in fictional settings. So like going back to Star Wars, people getting upset that Ray was flying the Falcon in, in, uh, in space. I'm like, my Nana was learned to drive a, a stick shift pickup truck at 12. Like <laughs> this tracks, you know, <laughs> like this is reasonable to me. Um, and it is, and again, dovetailing back into like Kiki's point about, you know, the idea of, of privilege. Um, if the, uh, it's, when you grow up in such an insulated way where you don't have the skill set of transposing your own experiences onto somebody else, that narrative fidelity becomes even harder to grasp at. And it's really unfortunate for them, um, if I'm being honest. Like, I would get angry, but I'm mostly sad. Yeah. One of my favorite experiments to do to demonstrate to people this idea of people have different experiences and it teaches them how to identify different things, but also when to be more cautious is to sit down, and I've done this before, with someone, especially who's white, and watch Get Out with them. And you sit there, and I've done this with my family before, and I ask them after the movie is over, what was the point that you realized there was something off with this family? And it's usually around the time that they have like the auction with the picture that they're like, there's something up. They're like, I kind of had an idea. There's maybe like, obviously from the story, right? There's something going on. But that was a moment everything just got horrific for me. And I tell them, for me, the horror started way earlier in the story. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And so explaining to them little things like, he reaches out to shake the, the, um, oh, it's technically the grandfather's And he does, yeah, and he doesn't do that. The hand pound, he shakes his hand. Or something like, what else? Like, they're, like I have to go watch Get Out again. But I was like, like, something like that. I was like, that was a hint that if you were Black and watched this film, that sent up some kind of earmark in your head. Because you're like, that. that's not how you should have responded. For me, it was the, I would have voted for Obama three times. See. But and and, it, that goes right over a lot of white people, white, especially white liberals, it went right over their head until like pointing back to that, be like, that is it. Like that whole movie is a criticism of white liberalism and how dangerous it can be. Yeah. But you were not able to spot what was going on until it was too late. And telling people like, so when there's black people in your lives and they're telling you about a certain coworker or they're telling you about a certain person in your friend group and you didn't realize it until that you found until that person got drunk and yelled the n-word but the black people have been telling you there's something up with that person since day one this is what happened there's a there's a fantastic documentary out there called horror noir which is an exploration of like the history of like black people 
in horror and the horror genre and it's so well made it's on shutter uh if you ever get a chance to go watch it and there's a bit they go through like you know our evolutions from like how we were used as like propaganda you know like kkk propaganda films to like you know to the point where now we have jordan peele making likes of get out and they had keith david i forgot who else i forgot the other guy but they were like watching the scene again and they said no the horror is the very first scene in get out because like what is the first scene of get out it is a black man walking alone at night in the suburbs where he mm-hmm. should not be like yeah. that's like that's a big like like jordan peele said he made get out specifically to scare black people and the first shot is a like a lone black man in an area he should not be at night like, again i have i was i've been with friends out in the suburbs and i have had full-on panic attacks and i'm like i should not be here like it's it's scary and like it's oh it's just it's so well done <laughs> I've had white partners flash their lights at night, just try to like get them right, that I completely freaked out at, that I could not explain what that was. But it was sort of this idea of drawing attention to us at night. Which is like, I guess a Southern thing or like, Mm. yeah, I've got, I've got enough. it's a thing but it's just sort of like that there's just like these weird um things that are implanted in us that are things we don't think to verbalize and i think that's something that get out does beautifully where it taps into those things and it doesn't have the discussion beforehand it doesn't like have the jump scares necessarily to tell us that this is a thing that we should have reactions to and it just lets us have that sort of experience with ourselves and with each other um yeah i i I love that movie that's a whole nother rabbit hole i could go down and then to like just bring this back to what we were talking about like tokenism we were talking about like all that stuff you know this is a story that was not being told necessarily for one demographic of people and so when people are like oh but this is tokenism or well get out wasn't made for you frankly you just got to you got invited to enjoy the ride Mm -hmm. and in fact if you as you know if you're watching get out as a white person it's a lesson for you too because at the end of the movie, like I said, I talked to my white friends and family after it's over and pointing this out to them of like, these are things that you missed and it's just a movie this time, but you need to pay closer attention because that's also the part of the point here as a white viewer, you let a lot of things slide until it got dangerous. You let a lot of things go until it got dangerous. And that's something for you to really reflect on that until you got scared, it wasn't a horror film yet. Mm-hmm. There's something interesting about that idea of tokenism uh, in particular. So um, it reminds me of, uh, so Luke Cage was invented by uh, three white guys. Uh, and there was uh, there was a black gentleman on the team, but he was not a part of the character creation. He was the inker. Bill Graham was the guy's name, but Archie Goodwin uh, invented Luke Cage, and he did it. Steve Englehart writes about this in one of in, I think the forward to like the Masterworks collection of Luke Cage here for hire, where he says Marvel wanted civil rights money, and so they asked us to make a black superhero. So Archie Goodwin went down to um, Times Square, watched a bunch of black exploitation movies, and that's where we got the ideas from. And so it was always that way from the beginning. 
uh so when people say like well it's it's just like it, it was the same thing with like um when john kent came out right recently uh or i guess it was recently, last year uh, john kent uh being bisexual or um was it tim drake maybe a month or two before him mm-hmm. right these characters coming out as a uh, part of the queer community and People saying, well, it's just to, to sell comics. Well, it's always been about that. Like, you can't divorce any of this stuff from capitalism. It's always going to be that way. Yeah. And then you never be get like, well, it's just, you know, they're being political. Yeah, it is. Fight me. Like, <laughs> you're right. It's, you know what? It is political. I don't care. Like, cry about it. Like, we, right. it's so frustrating as though the however many John Wayne movies we got of him murdering Indians and Native Americans, like, wasn't political. Like, oh, my God. It's political because it makes you uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I think when a lot of sorry, I'll say this and I'll be I'll be quiet. But a lot of times when people pop up of like, oh, they're getting political now in the Star Wars, and I'm like, you know, what about this is bothering you so much? Because if you are willing to sit here and you're willing to be open about the fact that this country has a problem with racism, with hate, with um, lack of opportunity. You know, what about this is making you uncomfortable? And I think you were, of course, they refuse to reflect on that because they don't want to. They're like, well, this was my escape. And it's like, well, why do you think that this mythical world that is created by people who sit in the same world as you will ever be free of political commentary or social commentary? Also, if you escape to a world that's free of people of color and like other ethnic or, or identity minorities, what are you escaping from? Like if you're if this is your escape and it pains you to have these people present in it, what are you exactly escaping from? Right. right. I, I think one of the things, so I guess one of my hotter takes on TikTok uh, was when I was talking about Finn in the sequel trilogy and I said that Finn and and as much as I love the character he's a tease because Mm -hmm. you know he was advertised like to be a Jedi and didn't get that he was advertised to have a much bigger role in the trilogy he didn't get that you could you know I'm not sure whether the proper term would be queer uh, coded or queer baited. Um, You didn't get that. Um, And, you know, there was also the fact that, you know, it could have also been teased that he and Ray were going to have a romantic relationship. Didn't get that. So, you know, there's a lot of these characters that when you get, you know, people from different backgrounds and you just get them in there, like, yeah, we got to, I won't even say a foot in the door. It's like, we got a toe in the door, but then you're just saying like, well, you should be satisfied with that. But then at the same time hearing, why do you even get that? You know, the, the uh, one thing that I, when people ask me like, well, what would you have rather done with Finn in, in the story? I always make care to make sure that he and Ray are co-protagonists like they were in The Force Awakens instead of making Finn the sole protagonist because I don't want to take representation away from women but when I remember uh, at least early on in TikTok days you know when I would be like you know well I I would get hit with well Ray was always meant to be the main protagonist and you know George Lucas even had a sequel trilogy with a woman in it I'm just like 
okay, but that doesn't mean that, because essentially what you're saying is black kids have to wait their turn for white women to, to get their shine. And, you know, it's like, well, you had male leads before. And I was like, but it's not, it's not a Venn diagram because, and this is something I was saying last night, Malika in VC is like, you ask any black kid that grew up loving a white superhero or white character and wanted to play them when playing make-believe with their white friends and being told, no, you have to be this black sidekick or the alien sidekick or the animal sidekick. You can't be the white hero because he's not black. And you see it's not a zero-sum game. You can even see it now with cosplayers on TikTok you know, like oh, one of my friends, Anthony, he does, you know, like Han Solo. He He's done uh, tech from the Bad Batch. He's a, and he gets just comments of, you know, Han Solo isn't black or Han Solo isn't a monkey. He, he just, I don't, they all find him. Don't know why, but they all find him. And it's just like, the, it's not a zero-sum game. But when you know you're so close to privilege then it just starts doubling down and it goes from you know it's like white women straight black men you know it's just words yeah no i i think you're right and one of the frustrating things i see is um uh when i hear people talk about like well now we've gotten this maybe we can get this next it's like well hold on a second uh multiple movies are made at the same time we don't need to think of this as like a factory line production it's not quite that way um and you know for the longest time the only folks that latinos had in star wars was chewbacca i will down the hill chewbacca is mexican canonically and i can make an argument for that <laughs> um but <laughs> i have an uncle named chewy uh but um it's we don't you know, it, it, it can't be crabs in a bucket, right? It can't be as soon as someone gets pulled up that we have to try to pull them down. Um, and it, I, I think like the, for better or worse, I think the anthology Star Wars movies are great examples of that. Um, we had Diego Luna playing uh, Cassian Andor and he used his actual Mexican uh, city accent. Like that was a real thing for him and that was meaningful to see that. Um, yeah, he died at the end of the movie and of course that sucks, but like, I, we can, there's, Star Wars is too diverse narratively to, you know, condense down to like, it needs to be this or it needs to be that. It can be all of those things The either or binary is not doing this any good. I literally just made a video on that not too long ago. <laughs> it's like, there's Star Wars horror, there's Star Wars war, there's like Star Wars family, Star Wars family breaking up. <laughs> it can be anything, guys. <laughs> I would kill for a Wookiee sitcom family. Like, <laughs> you kind of did with the holiday special. <laughs> let's not talk about that. There we go. There you go. Yeah. Black Chrysanthemum settles down, finds, you know, <laughs> finds love. I want a sitcom of Black Chrysanthemum roommates with the Trandoshan. It's like, well, what hijinks they get into now? <laughs> no, that's, that's like that black white show. <laughs> I have to bring up this every time we talk about Chewie and Han Solo because it's my favorite thing to say and it's completely unrelated. But somebody once described like Chewie and Han Solo as like the man, a man and his dog, and Han Solo is the dog. <laughs> and uh, the best way I put it is like the original trilogy, like the original squad. 
I'm like, Chewie's the only adult in that situation. Like Leia, like you got the Chaos Twins and you got Han Solo and like you got C-3PO and R2-D2. Chewie is the only adult in that situation and he must have been exhausted. R2-D2 is the center of the entire Star Wars universe. I literally am making my first YouTube video about this because I have gone off the deep end about this. And it all started watching Solo, a Star Wars story, because I started thinking about L3 and what it was about her that made her the first big woke droid. And that sent me into a spiral that you guys have had, has had the most satisfying payoff I've had in a really long time. I cannot wait to tell you guys about it. Sincerely. I see. No, I, I understand. Go ahead. So I Go ahead. see your R2-D2 as center and raise you a Kedpin Shaklop, who is, you know what, Malik? <laughs> who you is know what, Malik? so important to Star Wars. He is a pig salesman who represents the good in the galaxy. No, I understand. No, he's literally a Skywalker in one of the OG Skywalkers. And he is the absolute center of the Star Wars universe. I promise. No joke. Serious face. I will tie this all together for you and wipe that adorable smile off of all of your faces. Listen, you know, about six months ago, I would have made fun of you for this. And then I got in back, got dragged back into like the Nolan verse. And uh, I've had a hyper fixation on Bane from the Dark Knight Rises. And no, really? um, yeah, well, hey, hey, like, you know, it's it's been an adventure for everybody. It's been the adventure that nobody asked me for. No. But I was like, we're all going on it together. And you're like, oh, okay, we might get some, you know, yeah. we can make some introspective about things. We might get some, like, you know, some great analysis. And it devolved into me sitting there and being like, I'd let things table. And everyone's like, you know what? I think it's time for you to go outside. So I understand is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> the hyperfixation. I do feel like yeah, I got a, a field a... of grass to sell you. What? I got a field of grass to sell you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> love you him touching grass will make him last longer it's fine um when i saw yeah. r2d2 uh leak oil on someone and set them on fire in uh in one of the prequel movies i knew he was an absolute menace and you know <laughs> like and that's a droid with a body count see i yeah. was as a kid, I always, as a kid, I, I always thought he's peeing on them. <laughs> and then he sets yeah, them like... on fire with his jets. <laughs> um, but so, so uh, I've absolutely loved this discussion, and this could easily turn into one of our uh, podcasts that you know we cover the topic and then we get into what we call group therapy. therapy talk. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not the first uh, time this has happened. Yeah, I'm in. Um, I'd, I'd gladly do this again. Thank you, Chris. Mm -hmm. yeah, Thank no you problem. for having Thank us. Thank you all for coming on. Um, so if we want to go around and just give some closing thoughts on what we've talked about today and then let us know where people can find you and uh, anything cool you're, you're working on. Whoever wants to go first. I'll go. Uh, if your first thought is to try to police somebody's marginalized identity, based on what they enjoy maybe it's time for you to sit down and eat your damn porridge <laughs> as i like to say on my channel 
sit down, eat your damn food, and maybe be quiet and think for five seconds. And you can find me at Black PNW Lady on Instagram, Twitter, and um, TikTok. I'm currently talking a lot about 365 days from the Netflix. Been in a, we have we've gone full adult on my channel over on uh, TikTok. So if uh -oh. you want to see more of that. <laughs> I'm not grown enough for your TikTok anymore. I'm I'm a level with you. I'm, I don't know if I'm enough of an adult any, you know. <laughs> I, I I've gotten to the point where I put like war, like 18 plus warning. I'm like, just in case there's any minors wandering around here, this is not the place. We're talking about softcore stuff from Netflix, which I don't know how it got there, but I am enjoying it as a 30-some <laughs> year old adult. <laughs> All right, let's uh, go. Yeah, who's next? Oh, what, I was just, I'll, I'll, I'll go next. Um, I guess I, I, I can leave off with, like, you know, like, representation freaking matters. Like, you don't need a reason. It just it just works. Like, I am a black bisexual man who has always loved Superman. And, it, and now, with Superman being Val Zod and Jonathan Kent, I've, I've, I always say it like this. I've spent so much of my life wanting to become Superman and now Superman is becoming me. And that's just so like, it, it's like, yeah, like, no, like it, 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 it hits different, you know? Um, but I just repeat where I can be found or what my stuff or like, should, yeah. Should yeah, I, where you can well, be yeah. found, what you're working on, anything cool. Uh, you know, um, I have my podcast, Hot to Podcast, not as informative or intellectual. It's just two idiots talking about whatever we want. Um, uh, I actually had Chris not too long ago. We talked about Batman, and uh, that was fun. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, we're actually gearing up to have our fiftieth episode soon, and you can find us wherever podcasts are sold or or you know produced on Spotify, Apple Music, the Ancestral Plane, um, the Shady Guy Behind Your Library, uh, all that good stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, find me on TikTok at the Jedi Smart, where I'll talk pro wrestling, Star Wars, all that good stuff, that you know, all nerdy content. But yeah. <laughs> So uh, I'm going to offer a, a, a closing thought for my part. And that is um, actually it. Well, two things. One, um, anytime you're a person of color, you're a marginalized person, you're doing stuff on social media, you are expanding the social imagination and it's good work and I'm happy for you and keep doing it. Uh, and the other thing is actually I'm going to pass on some words from another TikTok creator that is Barnaby on the internet, who if you're not following them, you should be. Um, and that is so, uh, so they're black and, and they say that, you know, everything they do is black people shit. And so, you know, don't worry about performing, you know, particular identity in a particular way. If it makes you happy, it makes you happy. As long as you're not hurting anybody. Um, as far as where I can be found, I'm on TikTok at Dr. Dot underscore C. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Cruz underscore PhD. And uh, as far as stuff I'm working on, I do a podcast every Tuesday. We've got a new episode out. It's usually about a half hour. So you can, you know, listen to it while you jog or something, or if you're into that weird health stuff or, you know, drive to work. Uh, we talk about um, pop culture from an academic lens and things like that. And uh, I get people who are far more uh, intelligent and charismatic than myself to come on and, you know, share their thoughts. So, yeah, that's one thing that I do. Okay, and I have in now. Oh, but yeah, sure. Hi. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm Nidra. Uh, Nidra loves cosplay. Nidra is spelled N-E-D-R-A in case that's not a thing uh, that's visible. Um, and yeah, I'm dropping the first episode, which is actually episode zero of my podcast because we don't have enough of these. The world needs more Star Wars podcasts, okay? And it's called Execute. 
execute order uh, execute order 66 uh based off of my iconic joke that if you don't know about uh referred to colloquially as um, execute and basically the premise is I grabbed the nearest Star Wars book turned to page 66 catch a vibe and a discussion ensues and there's going to be an episode released every week leading up to Star Wars celebration wow that's really cool that's awesome and uh, I have nature loves cosplay everywhere except uh Twitter because of the limit. I'm Nature Loves Jedi. Um, and I'm just thrilled to be here. And I think there needs to be more of a discussion about um how not weird we are and how we're I still kind think of we're pretty weird. <laughs> you know what weird? weird? <laughs> like I like us being weird in our spaces. Like we're weird for us, but I don't like the default for POC who are daring to um, exist in spaces that, like Kiki said, we were excluded from to be weird. Um, and I love that there's just been such a, a, a large push to include us and to uh, make a little room for us, both for people who are in the community and people who are outside the community. Um, always will throw tiny shouts out to the allies who make room for us and um, massive, massive shouts out and praise to the POC who dared to barge into those spaces when they didn't exist. Um, and I think that's important for us to appreciate those people, but also not to feel that there's an obligation for other people in our community to do the same because everybody doesn't you know, have the capacity to do that. And, um, you know, just got to hold a little room in your heart for the people who who are built to be, you know, the renegades and the pioneers and um, a little respect for the people who just move through the world to the best of their ability. Um, but thank you all for, um, one, letting me into the, your communities and into your space and into your heart and also for letting me be a part of this tonight. <laughs> oh, of course. Thank you. And, you know. Uh, you're always welcome back. Aww. Yeah, I was just, uh, so yeah, I mean, before we sign off, I'll say, yeah, thank you to all of our guests for coming. We really appreciate you all coming on and sharing your opinions and stories and anecdotes and things of that nature. And uh, just one closing thought I had too is like, um, if you're someone who's like not a part of a marginalized community and you are like upset because you feel like, you know, you, you, you're someone who's like upset that you, you know, you don't want to see like diverse things, you know, at the end of the day, you're really kind of missing out on like good art at the end of the day by not wanting to watch anything that like doesn't center you or your experience because like, you know, there are all these like amazing stories that you're just not seeing or you're missing out on because you're just stuck in your own little silo. And to me, you know, it, it's, you know, it's kind of sad, you know, it's kind of sad if you're like, oh, well, I'm not going to watch, you know, I saw um, the, uh, the everything everywhere all at once a couple weeks ago, which was like an amazing movie, you know, and it's got nothing to do with me or my experience at, at all. But I thought the story, you know, was about a, it was essentially a mother and daughter story with kind of like a sci-fi element. And I thought it was like really touching, you know? And it's just like, when you close yourself off, you just miss out on like, you know, good stories like that. So 
yeah, it's my last uh my last point. Uh Chris, you got anything? Uh yeah, so I'll, I'll leave this off with uh, a quote by Maya Angelou. Uh, <laughs> we all should know that diversity makes for a rich, a rich tapestry, and we must understand that all the threads of the tapestry are equal in value, no matter what their color. Chris is always coming in with the uh, with the quotes. <laughs> no, uh, you didn't. You didn't what have any Bible quotes this time, Angelou? no. Still I rise, my king, still I rise. That was a great ending uh, for this, although we have to reconcile that with being in the same conversation as Bane. That <laughs> okay, is, are we done recording? There's no more recording going on, right? uh, we're, we're, we're still recording. Okay, all right. <laughs> I'm going to wait for this little right, microphone. All right, so until next time. Dr. Cruz. Oh, man. <laughs> until next time, I'm Chris. I'm Chris. And uh, yeah, see you guys on the next podcast. There are more of us. You bomb back. All right. <laughs>